One set. Camera rolling. Sound. The good, the bad, and the just plain standard. Take one. Welcome back to the good, the bad, and the just plain standard podcast, where we provide you with our informed opinions on movies we watched together. We are your hosts, Adam, Anouk, and Jan. Today is all about Atomic Blonde. Starring Charlize Theron, James McAvoy, both with English accents. Well, she's got multiple accents in this one, eh? Right, but I think, I, I mean, I haven't heard her, but I think she's, I'm guessing, a South African accent, usually. Anyway, um, Eddie Marzen. Is it Marzen? Marzen? Yeah, it is. John Goodman, um, one of my favourite actors. Toby Jones, another one of my favorite actors. Uh, uh, the beautiful Sofia Butella. Yes, French Algerian. Uh, this kind of sex appeal with the cheeky thing going on. I like it. Uh, <laughs> and last but not least, Bill Skarsgård, of course. Yeah, so uh, let's what? play a little game. Mm-mm. Who's your first Skarsgård? So. Until recently, I thought it was Alexander Skarsgård because I love True Blood and that might make me sound like a really silly kind of teenage girl, but... You suddenly realised that you've seen him in Will Hunting before. Yes, that would be... His father, yes. Stellan Skarsgård. It's like, um, my one for that was, I I I still do, I like Ed Begley, who is... The last thing I saw him in was the Ghostbusters reboot. He was one of the... He was, like, uh, uh, owner of, like, a haunted house. But he's most famous for right now is um, he's in Better Call Saul, which is mm-hmm. in now. Oh, his father... Yeah, yeah, he's Ed Begley Jr., but Ed Begley's father is one of the jurors in 12 Angry, Angry Men, which is a phenomenal film. Yes, it I is. believe he's juror number eight. He's either eight or three. I will have to correct that in the next podcast when I look it up. What he is, but he's fantastic in that. You'll hear some uh, ice from time to time because today we're just uh, celebrating. Uh, we've been to see so at McBlonde and also play. So it's also, like, this is the last time we're recording in the current venue that we are. Oh, we're moving, yes. we're moving venues, so we're it's having a drink from to, that venue, yes. to <laughs> send off our first place for recording podcasts. So. Bailey's on ice. Yeah, I'm. I have. Uh, Wine in a mug. Because I packed all the glasses. <laughs> Which is our disbanded name for our production <laughs> company. <laughs> so, yeah. So this film is basically about a undercover agent, MI6 agent, who um, is sent during the Cold War to Berlin to um, kind of get back a list that's been, the so-called list that's been leaked by someone and is being possibly sold to the Americans or the Russians or the Brits or the, I mean, you know, Cold War. <laughs> it gets confusing rather yeah. quickly. gets a little bit confusing. It's like a free-for-all for the this watch that has the list in it, basically. Exactly. And whoever finds it first is going to have some superior advantage in the Cold War. Yeah, right. So it's a good old spy um, thriller. It's a MacGuffin movie. You know what uh-huh. that is? Yes, I do know what MacGuffin. Can explain for the... I have someone, I have a guest, uh, to explain what MacGuffin is. Because mm-hmm. we were not told uh, last year what MacGuffin was. But uh, I've been listening to reviews in the month leading up to this podcast. I've been listening to stuff and from time to time I would hear like, oh, there's MacGuffin and stuff. And So, here is the guest. 
explaining what it is. A MacGuffin you see in most films about spies is it's a thing that the spies are after. In the days of Rudyard Kipling, it would be the plans of the fort on the Khyber Pass. Mm -hmm. It would be the plans of an airplane engine and the plans uh, of an atom bomb, anything you like. It's always called the thing that the characters on the screen worry about, but the audience don't care. Mm -hmm. And someone asks, what is a MacGuffin? And there's a, the, it's described in a scene in an English train going to Scotland, and one man says to the other opposite him, he said, what's that package above your head there? And the other man said, oh, that, that's a MacGuffin. He said, well, what is a MacGuffin? He said, well, it's an apparatus for trapping lions in the Scottish Highlands. The man said, but there are no lions in the Scottish Highlands. He said, then that's no MacGuffin. <laughs> uh, thank you for clearing that up for us. That's, oh, yes. And you adopted that word as the thing, the letters, it's the plans. It's the thing that the, the spies are always up. Yeah. Gotta be careful for those Scottish lines, man. They are they are deadly up north. <laughs> I quite like the idea that Scottish lines was like it should be the new version of telling people that aren't from Scottish about the haggis. You know that the, mm. the haggis turns tartan when it's hiding to stay away from English people that might want to kill it for reasons unknown yeah i honestly believed that when i when i came up here i'm really embarrassed to tell you guys that's a confession from me that was our friend obviously uh alfred yes <laughs> hitchcock yeah oh just mm. beautiful that's well described the man's perfectly right and i didn't realize that this was a MacGuffin movie until he started talking i'm like yeah this, this <laughs> code name the list this was to exactly this totally was a MacGuffin movie and um it, i mean it's all very subtle and I don't really know if it was subtle because it was good or if it was bad, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Like, is it because, you know, I was making a mistake in understanding? But I feel like nothing was really explained enough. It was a little bit bland. It was a little bit on the surface. Maybe I'm getting a bit too deep too quickly. Maybe we should go back to the very beginning. Um, the dinosaurs. Kind of like the dinosaurs. The, the, the big bang. Before films were ever made. Well, Georges Lumiere decided, decided one day that he's had enough Listen, of just looking at normal pictures. Dumb. He wanted to make he wanted to make others. Or as somebody we all mutually Louis, know, he used to call him George Melies. Yeah, because no, was God. Louis Lumiere, I think, and yeah. George Melies. No, what I mean is the advertising for this movie. I don't know if I've been to the cinema this year after the date of March and I have not seen a trailer for this movie. <laughs> Yes. The, every time I'd seen a, went to see a movie, you were guaranteed to hear the start of some. Was it Depeche Mode? The do 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 that one. I think it was a remix, maybe of a Depeche Mode. Uh, it might be that or Joy Division. It's definitely like that sort of music. And you know it's the one. It's very German. You know the one I'm singing from this here and that. Like, oh yeah, that one. But I can't remember the name of it. But um, yeah, that trailer was on every time I went to the cinema, and the trailer looked kind of, you know. It looked okay, but... It was a bit trashy, though. It was a bit standard trailer-ish, because this is the time of year that films come out that don't know where else to come out in the year. Mm. August is always like that. Like, the end of August, before we start gearing up for films that are maybe getting an international showing because of 
film festivals or the the films that come out for Oscar season, these ones start to come out of the woodwork, all the, the horror films, and then we move into Oscar season. The end of August is absolutely films that don't know where to put themselves in the, the calendar. And I get why Atomic Blonde came out now, because I don't know where else this year. Because there have been a lot of films this year this movie would have had to fight against. There's been big films that have come out this year. Well, I would say good for her, because it's kind of a, well, it's completely a challenge to your own vehicle. Mm. And she's, she, well, she's a lead, she's a producer. Actually, uh... You're not an executive producer I, as well? No, producer, well, I, I'm not sure. I actually... Thanks for, well, for talking about that, because thanks to Raindance, once again, I got to understand what was the difference between all those kinds of producers. Right. Uh, so you've got the producer who supervises the whole thing, and you've got the executive producer, or sirs, who sign, they sign checks. The co-producer brings talent... So let's say you have a project ah. and uh, I happen to have in my friends uh, Al Pacino. I bring Al to your movie. Now I'm automatically a co-producer. Okay. Associate producers, the same thing, but for money. So if ah. I bring money to your... Okay. I become an associate. Okay. Yeah. So is that, is that why quite a lot of people become... Uh, like actors become associate producers very quickly if the series does well, for example, because then they from from the money that they get from doing well in the series, they can then bring it back into... Well, there is also yes. the control thingy, so you have more control. That's funny, because you know on Indiegogo and uh, Kickstarter nowadays, they're like, oh, if you um, pay this much money, it's usually like the top credit. It's like, well, you can be a producer in the movie, when it should technically be an associate producer in that case. Mm. So, a few times you have the definite instinction. Like, if yeah. you give 5,000, you're an associate producer, a co-producer, if you're just mm. 1,000, it depends. Really. I just checked, she just produced it. Okay. Mm, mm, okay. A lot, of, a lot of people do that to give the mood, the movie more kudos. Like, but I mean, yeah, really good for her. It for a poster. You know? When, when was the first movie you saw her in? Do you remember that? Mm, no. Oh Jesus! Um... Shall we look up her? <laughs> look at her <laughs> uh, filmography. I remember because it's in one of my favorite movies of 1996. She was in that thing you do. Which is the um, directorial debut of Tom Hanks? Okay, and oh, yeah. she has like almost just an extra thingy. So it's just have oh. she has a small part. Tina, I think, was at uh, mm, this one. Oh my god! Her first movie was Children of the Corn Three: Urban Harvest. Oh, wasn't that with the guy who made uh, Highlander the series? James Adrian Paul. Yeah, there's a Adrian Paul in there, right? Somewhere okay. it was. It was. She was uncredited, and it was direct to video. That one. <laughs> okay. Um, Let me have a look. See where I recognise her from. I think it might have been the Italian job. You know. Oh, she was good in I Monster for me. You know that um, the guy that later did um, what's it called? God Godzilla. His first movie, which is basically people being it's a family drama while there's monsters in the world. Oh, she's in that. Yeah, that's the first I, I thing I'd seen. Uh, she, Monster, right? Monster. Yeah, yeah. That that's was the first apparently movie. also the first film that she produced as huh, well. That worked out for her. Hmm. That worked so, out very well. so that's kind of where. But the year, the same year, um, I think that was. I think the Italian job was when the first time that I saw her. So that's two thousand three. So that's you know, Men of 13, Honor. 15 years ago. Is that the diving movie, Men of Honor? Yeah, it is. The diamond. Have you seen that one? It's Cubing Jr. and Robert De Niro. Yeah. With... She's the drunk wife what? in the oh, bar. Oh, so she is. 
Yes. We've got to review Men of Honour, especially a view for a Navy man. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it. It's the story of Cubing Jr. becoming Gooding. the first... Yeah, sorry, I keep forgetting his name. Becoming the first um, black master diver in the US. Navy. No, no, I haven't. No. It's a very good film. We shall, we will watch it one day in Jan's honour. Okay, so... Um, Back to Atomic Blonde. Anyway, so the Italian job is where I saw her first. So, obviously based in Berlin in the Cold War, so there's a lot of kind of... East Berlin vs West Berlin. Obviously, the wall is still up. Well, Actually, that, remind. Did we mention that the Cold War was happening in the plot summary? Yes. Oh, I must have zoomed. Sorry, I zoomed out. <laughs> so, for some gritty history background, uh, me and Adam, because we're kind of dating, don't know if. That's just lost us so Ooh. many female listeners, you know. Oh, so sorry, Adam. So sorry. Damn, I was looking forward to conventions. God damn it, Adam. God damn it. So sorry. Yeah, and I'm just holding the candle. <laughs> if you say it, yeah, that's how you say it also in here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah you can say that. Yeah, candle, third wheel, Jesus. Ah, third wheel. Third wheel is another good one. Uh, no, never, never at all. We, because my mum actually lives in Berlin now. We mentioned that on uh, uh, Victoria, because we mentioned your mum lives in Berlin. Yes. Yeah, so, that's also the link with this movie, Berlin. Yeah, Berlin, yes. Th- there you go. go so on, we sorry, went to visit, sorry. We went to visit uh, Berlin and we went to the Palace of Tears Museum, which is a pretty nondescript building um, near Friedrichstrasse, if you ever want to go. Um, highly recommend. Highly recommended because it is actually the place where East Berliners and West Berliners could actually meet. Um, if, for example, family members were torn apart because of the wall. And it actually gives you a lot more of um, kind of the personal stories of like the kind of control station of the DDR, the government. Yeah. Basically, that was kind of horrible so what, stuff. what side was the Palace of Tears on? Um, west. Yes, that's right. So in the... I don't want to say this, but... It, I mean, it was in the more prosperous part of Berlin so it was in at the, the time. It was in the freer part of... It was in the, the non-communist part of Berlin. Right. So, yes, freer and... Um, I mean, a lot of people would say that a much better place to live in. Um, yeah, there were less. And really. um, well, the nice thing is, is that entrance is free. So it's a beautiful museum. It's well worth doing. It's up there. It's in my top five things I'll do to do in Berlin. Mm. Yeah, it's very educational. It's actually it's very enjoyable because it's a part of history that you don't, you will never really hear about this building because it is. It's a strange place because you can walk through these little interrogation boxes that you would have to do to get in and out, and it would be easier to travel from west to east than it would be to travel east to west. Because obviously communism and, and the Russians were a lot more strict. And honestly, they probably didn't want the East Berliners to see what the West Berliners were living like. It's a shame you that know? they only use about four seconds of the Palace of Tears in this movie. It's four, I counted, it's four seconds. She walks in a building <laughs> and then they cut to the actual train station that's there you, you can walk into. I mean, that's what it would have been in... Uh... So yeah, this is 1961 to 1989. So that's a long time for people to be living in fear and separation and desperation and, and a different life. And so, I mean, it, it, this is a really tough time for Berlin and Germany's history is insane because it's just gone through so much, excuse my French, shit, uh, because of the yeah. two world wars that, you know, you could argue that Germany might have started a little bit. 
But obviously, Germany is what? like a few Germany's years. had a rough time in the 20th century. Right, and, and think about how many people are actually in Germany. Like, not all of them were, you know, Nazis. Here's, here's the thing for me. Um, because I knew all this before going in, the film had context. I don't think in the film you get any context of how bad the Cold War is. Mm, 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 mm. I think that's left at the wayside. And it's a shame because that's, apart from the fact that they travel from east to west and trying to get somebody out of the east to the west, there's no real reason why this couldn't have been anywhere in the world. No. It just, a Cold War spy movie is good, but they do not use the Cold War aspect Actually, they made East Berlin look amazing. Yeah, they didn't right. really show the difference at all. They had the whole... Um, well, I mean, there was a difference. There was, like... It was a lot more commercial, it seemed. There was a lot more money in West Berlin. It seemed a little bit more free. East Berlin was full of, like, underground, grungy, uh, young people who wanted to smash the system. And it was a lot more, like, anti-capitalism mm. and anti-establishment and all this kind of stuff. But because it was always a party and it was full of colour and it was full of graffiti and self-expression, you kind of lost the fact that this was a really tough time for people. Agreed. And if you ever wanted to see what it actually was like, not fully, but if you wanted to, actually even go to Berlin and see the differences even now between West and East. You can talk to people off the street. You know, Germany is a... That's the one thing about Germany and history. They are very willing to talk about their history. And they embrace it for all are. the bad things that's happened because of Germany. It has not defined them as a nation, which I think no. is amazing. Where, whereas America and Britain have decided to sh- shy away from their yes, we hide uh, away from shortcomings, all let's yeah. say. It's a horrible way to say it. Cause and it's... France run away from theirs. Hey! <laughs> 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 So, yes, so, again, it's Hollywoodized, it's um, a little... I don't it's want, a next trashy. favourite phrase. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Hollywoodized. Do you know what? I think it's a really important word. Can we get on a T-shirt? Hollywoodized. Oh, yes, as a merch. As a merch. Oh. Available very soon on our website. <laughs> I'm so up for that. Like, have we'll you see. been we'll Hollywoodized? We'll see how these go. We'll see how these go. Maybe one day. Hollywoodized. No, I just, you know, I just mean that there's a little bit of entertainment. But actually, the the trashy side of that they really kind of pushed in the trailer, mm-hmm. it actually was a lot more gritty and dark as a film oh yeah than the trailer so it's quite strange they probably did that to get bums on seats right well it's like, like the standard um, parallel with Suicide Squad now that Suicide Squad had two different trailers and then you saw mm. the movie and you're like this is what is, what's going on you never talk about Suicide Squad in my presence um, <laughs> never it looks like we'll be doing Suicide Squad just to annoy oh, you Jesus Christ and I went to see that in 4DX oh what a shame yes. was that your first 4DX experience no because in France we have this uh, Futuroscope uh, kind of park, but it's not for uh, Disney kind of stuff. It's uh, movie related, and so they have like what they have in um, uh, Universal Studios, like Sh- Shrek 4D. Okay. So I- I've been to that a few times before, and I was, as you say here, and I love that turn of phrase, not impressed. <laughs> uh, of course, of course, France. You know, we invented cinema. Let's have the theme park <laughs> for it. Not bitter or anything. You know, this one, this movie with Justine was based on a great graphic novel. Um, ah, yes. 2012, The Coldest City. And Charlie's Theron, well, Charlie's, well, <laughs> she was uh, interested in the comic, so she contacted David Litch, 
uh, who's been directing um, John Wick before because she wanted that kind of touch. Mm. So that's how oh. the project started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. well, something I won't do anymore is the comic before because I uh. knew the twist. And I knew, well, I didn't know the counter twist and the mega twist and whatever, but... <laughs> uh, and also, uh, she's not that badass in a graphic novel, not that I remember of. There's just one fight, one point, like she gives one uh, kick, I think, and that's pretty much is it. So they went loosely on the, uh, on the thingy. I don't mm-hmm. think the film would be as good without the choreography. The choreography for me is definitely the, the selling point of this yes, movie. Yes, it's it's, very, it's, it's, yeah. it's beautiful. It's, it's lovely to watch because yeah. a lot of the time you are struggling to do anything. And I checked, it's definitely not real long takes, but it feels like it and uh, the cuts are invisible and uh, it's just very nice. The, the stunt coordination is just incredible. I mean, uh, the, the guy who directed this one... Um, was with his mate, uh, Chad Stahelski. They've been co-directing John Wick, which will be uh, next review, by the way. Um, but for some reason, the Directors Guild of America uh, didn't accept the exception, because apparently it's always just one director, and sometimes there are exceptions to you have two, oh. but they didn't accept, so it was just his colleague, the, um, Chad Stahelski, who was um, flagged as the director for John Wick, who ended up also directing the, the second one. Mm-hmm. Well, and David Leach, who did this one, they, were, they had been working in stunts for like 20 years. David was the stuntman in The Hangover, Conan the Barbarian, X-Men Origins Wolverine, <laughs> uh, was the second unit director in The Wolverine, Jurassic World, Civil War, Marvel. Jurassic World. He produced uh, John Wick in uh, 1 and 2. And also you did some he's, acting. He's not got a bad resume. Mm-mm. That's yeah, quite yeah. good. Well, and the, the guy who is doing, his colleague doing John Wick 2, is about to do the Highlander franchise reboot. That is oh, coming. Yeah. okay. Yeah, I've, uh, yeah. I haven't found that many wow. info on that, but uh, it seems to be uh, thematic development like Star Wars and similar to John Wick action, but with swords instead of guns. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, I really admired the choreography in this movie. Mm. There's some yeah. great scenes. Talking about carrying on from last week's Victoria, which hopefully you all enjoyed and maybe watched. And if you did watch, because of us, we're very grateful because it was a good movie. Um, the fact that that was all one shot. There are some long shots in this. Yeah, fake ones, apparently. Uh, no. Even the stairway. But- is the stairway one, stairway one fake, too? It look- I think they, they, there's the one ten minute one, but which was re-stitches and stuff. I oh. could, you could tell that some but were re-stitched you, as well. Yeah. You, sometimes we would see someone flying in front of the camera. It was probably a cut. Ha, yeah, ha, yeah. Ha. Which is a shame, but in no means detracts from it because you feel no, the no, tension. it doesn't. You feel the tension, and it was fantastic. It was, and there was no music, so it, it was, was even more raw. In my eyes, it was an homage to the the protector, which Jan mentioned last week, uh, which has this amazing fight scene that you might have heard me like exclaim in excitement because that film is amazing. Mm. Where in that film, when the protector, this the protagonist, it's a three minute take where he fights his way up the stairs of a shopping mall, basically, mm. to get to the bad guy. It's like any second last level of a fighting game where you fight your way to the boss and you feel epic and there's great music going on. In this one, Charlie Sharon fights her way down the stairs, <laughs> mm-hmm. but is equally as epic. So, 
Good on you guys, because that scene, that was fantastic. Yeah. The one in the car, which you said is probably not um, a real one, but it reminded me of, uh, well, I, I don't remember the full movie, but investigating long takes for last podcast, I've seen the uh, Children of Men scene, and they are in a car at one point, and the same kind of stuff happens. So the camera turns around, and you see stuff behind and in front, and those weird people following it, running around. So it reminded me of that. I really don't know if this one was a real one, but it felt like it was, and it was... Regardless, yeah, regardless, mm. I enjoyed it, and it didn't take away anything. I wasn't noticing that it was... If it is faked, it's faked very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they had money with all the... the, 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 the pro- yeah, that helps, doesn't yeah. it? With all the, the product placement happening and stuff. I thought, <laughs> yeah, Stolichnaya and oh, Jack, Daniel. Jack Daniels. They had a lot of alcohol. <laughs> no, I also quite liked how she fought like the men. You know, she wasn't seen as any different, any <laughs> feminist is here. Oh, um, you haven't tried. You haven't tried to stab me with high heels because I don't believe that for one second that you could. Uh, but then people, but, but I, but you can stab people with pens. Yes, if you stab them in the throat. But tell I was you. just stabbing him. We'll try that afterwards and report uh, after. Tell you what, you, tell you what, listeners. If you want to see Anouk hit Jan with a stiletto. Comment. Comment on the podcast just saying hitting, right? And we'll <laughs> upload the video. It'll be ten it'll be ten to fifteen seconds and Anouk will hit Yam with a shoe at a relative speed. Well, well, what we could do is I could stab a pillow. They'll just stab me he is a pillow. Fine. Yeah. No, he's a pillow. Wicked pillow. I don't I don't want to actually stab you. Can you imagine if it actually worked and I stabbed you? I've seen a video online. So, yeah, we can try. So, listeners, if you want to see us hospitalise Jan, <laughs> comment hitting. <laughs> so, in terms of actors, uh, mm. I know that we were not extremely impressed with uh, James McAvoy's work on this specific uh, mm. movie because we love him. But... And if you want to start, you felt more strongly on this one. I wasn't... Maybe it's because I haven't seen him... Well, sorry, I, I have seen him do that type of character before. So maybe it's because it seemed a bit done before. It didn't excite me. It didn't, I didn't feel anything. I thought that it, either, I don't, and I don't know if this is because of the writing or the directing or whatever. Like it might not have been Mac- McAvoy's fault, but I felt like his character was very undeveloped almost. Like it seemed a little bit like he'd, someone told him, ah, just play filth. <laughs> you know and I'll pay you 10 million dollars can you just come for like one day mate be a mate please did all that. and I'll give you 10 million dollars for it do you know what it just seemed yeah. a little bit tired and I... it was like I've seen you at your best mate I've seen mate <laughs> me and James go way back <laughs> <laughs> well he did he did go he did study acting in the city and Sunny Glasgow. Yeah, so he's he was uh, the he Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. It was not called yes. like that before, but it was the Royal Scottish Academy the, of Music and Drama. The Royal Academy, yeah, R S A. That's where Peter Capaldi and mm. David Tennant mm. and Ruby mm. Wax as well studied there. Oh, really? was, yeah, Ruby Wax was a conservatoire. She Didn't... isn't she a socialite? Sorry no. if you're listening. No, Ruby <laughs> Wax is a comedian. Oh yeah, so I'm thinking about someone else. Kathy Lett. Is that who you're thinking of? Yeah. Not Kathy Griffin. Something. Anyway, I think her daughter went to school with me. My first, um, my first crush was Ka- was Kathy Griffin. 
Who is? She's the ginger haired presenter on Fox now. She did the whole thing with the Trump's uh-huh. head. Oh, God, really? Uh, right, do you know right. why she was my first crush? Because uh, I used to be into the show, which if I ever. Fox News? No, no, no. If I ever get the money, <laughs> right, I am single handedly going to reboot The Mole, right? <laughs> yes, you are. I don't know if anyone's heard of The Mole, but The Mole is a, is a, it was a Danish show that got put everywhere where. Like, like this movie, there is it's a game show. Thirteen people travel sort of around the world, and uh, they're trying to collect money for, to win at the end. But one of them is a double agent, the mole, who is out to sabotage them all. So the point of the game was at the end of every episode, they took a quiz, and the player that got the lowest score about the mole was was eliminated. So it was just it it was amazing because you got connected and you liked the people in it. So and she was uh, she was on the celebrity special in Hawaii. She was on with. It was her, one of the, a young actor from a movie, Dinotopia, which I remember watching as a kid and loving, but I cannot <laughs> remember his name for the life of me, uh, and the other Baldwin brother, uh, Steve, Steve Baldwin, not Alec. But uh, yeah, yeah she was like, on that uh, and I just fell in love with her somehow. So, it's like yeah. the Skarsgård and the, yeah. the Arquettes and uh, so, the, yeah. they are legion. Absolutely. So if anyone's out there and wants to help me reboot them all, <laughs> uh, get in touch because uh, I'm up for it. Totally up for it. Okay. Bring back the mole. What do you think uh, about Sophia? 35 years old. French she's and She's 35? Yes. She looks like she's 20. Man alive. The things <laughs> that that woman, jeez. Kingsman, yeah. It was. My boyfriend, was... everyone. <laughs> do you know what I love about this movie? Do you know what I love about this movie, Anouk? There was lots of scenes of Charlize Theron and her just wearing laundry. You know, there was, there was, was a lot naked. of scenes like that. There yes. were there were pointless scenes with Sharon just getting dressed, and you just saw her like take a top off. So, and she's yeah. wearing a bralette. So I'm probably gonna say this now. Like, so I'm I'm bisexual, right? Like, I've I've like been in love with women, and so as have I. As has Adam, and it's, everything is fine between us. <laughs> no, um, so, um, but. I only say that because I'm what I'm watching it and I didn't get. Am I shot? No, the table. Oh, for God's sake! For the oh. listeners, I'll notice this. Anouk does bang the table a lot, I'm sorry, so if I'm we so just sorry. if we just hear Anouk go quiet, it's because we're telling her don't bang it, <laughs> don't so bang sorry. the table. Fuck you! I'm sorry, I can't help. She's so, so go back. You're bisexual. Yes, <laughs> but I'm only saying that because I didn't get well a little bit, but I didn't get turned on by the sex scenes. And I quite like that because I feel like quite a lot of lesbian scenes are there for the men. And I think what was nice about this one is that it was a complete power play between Charlize Theron and uh, Sophia. Delphine LaSalle. Sophia Boutella. Boutella. Yeah. yeah. The, uh, uh, I was in, actually in the graphic novel, a guy, Pierre LaSalle. Oh, right. she was a, it was a bloke in the movie. The graphic was a bloke. So they made her a woman. Wow. And that's quite interesting. Progressive. I thought it was quite progressive because it wasn't... Oh, what am I trying to say? Didn't feel out of place, or no, and it didn't. It didn't feel gratuitous. You're right, or, right. Or yes. like um, just thrown in, like Ghostbusters was. Yeah, like let's get the men excited a little bit. You know, let's have a lesbian sex scene. Do you know like, what? You know what? Um, first one off, Anouk talking about lesbian scenes and didn't get turned on by them. My girlfriend, there, everyone. My girlfriend <laughs> getting turned on by lesbian scenes. Yeah, let's have an explicit flag on that episode. Yeah. <laughs> I think we might need we to. We might need to put the flag on this. This is N... No, was it? No, N-S-F-W. Not, not, not safe, safe for work. work. 
Um, well, we've also talked about how we're drinking while we're working, so this that's probably is, not going to Somehow happen. this episode's a lot more energy since we've started drinking, so maybe that should be the strategy <laughs> from now on, we should just drink while doing this. No, we're um, having milk in a wine glass. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that the thing was that they, it, they made the conscious decision not to advertise that they had replaced a male with a female. And that was perfect, because you don't have to. Mm-hmm. I would never, if Jan had never told me that was a bloke, I wouldn't have cared and I wouldn't have noticed. And that's perfect. That's how it should be. You mm-hmm. know? This was the problem with the Ghostbusters. I'm banging well, the was, table again. It's not the only problem with the Ghostbusters. The Ghostbusters reboot. No, 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 of course, but this was a problem because what they did was they said, let's take a very male film and make it feminine. And it didn't work because there's a massive problem with thinking that there are certain films and ways of acting and ways of doing and acting, as in human beings acting, not the profession acting, that people think that, like, the Ghostbusters film, just make it as women doing it. It it takes a lot more skill than that to just take a film and make it feminine because women are different. Like, no one can say that we're not. So I think it's so silly that we're trying to... Loads of women are trying to be men and that's what is probably hindering us most because we're not men. We're fucking women. Joss Whedon is good at at, uh, portraying strong women. He he started with Buffy. Yeah, it's an excellent Nice work. What was interesting though is that she was like 12 years old when she started and she was like totally over-sexualized, like too young. But um, it wasn't... She Buffy? wasn't Buffy, not Buffy. Sarah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, Sarah sorry. Michelle. I mean, I'm just Sarah Michelle Gellar. <laughs> I mean, but it didn't feel like she was sexual, like she was a child that was sexualized. You know, it's just she, she's a very pretty girl, and she didn't wear much, and it was kind of okay. I feel like the, maybe in another series it would have been this kind of like, oh, look at me, you I'm never, so you, sexy. You never felt that she was a 12-year-old girl. I think that's the key point. That's why it was all right. Cause, mm. Because she was young, but because of what she had to do every night, she was uh, she was an adult. I'm pretty sure she wasn't, wasn't she 12. a teen? No, she 17, wasn't, I think. She wasn't 12. Yeah, sure she wasn't no, 12. Sorry, I'm uh, over-exaggerating. Sure. But, but you know, she's got a baby face. She's yeah. like, No, you know, I understand what you're saying. You know? Yeah. And, you know, this was the 90s. Like, women had, like, no figure at all. Um, To quickly pick up on the Ghostbusters thing, just one of the major reasons that the Ghostbusters female reboot failed, right? And it's not to do with, oh, they're women, that's why it was boring. Mm -hmm. All the female actors in that, in other projects, are phenomenal. And they've done amazing roles. Oh, bridesmaids. The problem with Ghostbusters was that they did not utilise the cast they had. Because Ghostbusters won is incredibly written. The jokes are funny and they're crafted and the actors use them. Like, there's a skit in comedy, I talked about this in the the Fringe special podcast with our special guest that you'll be hearing very soon, Mm. um, that there are two types of people in comedy. There are those who can write jokes and there are those who could perform. And in Ghostbusters 1, the writer, which I want to say, oh, not Aykroyd, it was... Oh, no, what's his name? The first one? The first one, the writer. Harold Ramis? Yeah, it? Harold Ramis, that's mm, it. Okay. He was the writer, and Bill Murray and all and the actors, even himself that's in it, are just <laughs> performers, you know? Mm. One of them wrote the jokes, and all of them performed. In Ghostbusters, the reboot, the jokes aren't written. 
they just it mainly feels like a big improv from Saturday Night Live. They all yeah. every scene's like a Saturday Night Live sketch, yeah. you know. Yeah, filming which yeah. is nineteen-minute uh, SNL. Yeah, we all caught because we. It's the same problem. It's like we're trying to make women into men, and it's like that's not what empowering women is. Like that's what we need to understand, and that's what I think this film did. Mm. It empowered women. It didn't empower. The man in woman. No, not at all. <laughs> Which is so silly because it, it makes no sense to me. But it just, I think it just also goes to show that um, the studios and the people behind all of these films and these ideas, the people that actually make, you know, ideas happen, they have no direct link to the people on the ground. Mm. So they actually have no idea what's going on. And I think they don't understand what people want. Because there's all this stuff going on and it doesn't really make sense. It's the best way to do a, an empowering woman movie is to make a movie that's not about an empowering... Not to set out to make an empowering woman. Mm. But the way the actress holds herself and the character is that makes her empowering. Because this was the first time in a movie I was like, wow, this is a great step for women. You didn't even think about that. And only from, well, only from thinking about other movies where they're like, oh, you could have a woman play that role... Watch Tommy Blonde and you can see that there's no reason why you can't write a movie for a woman, you know? This was a prime example as the script doesn't have to be like, she has to be pregnant, she has to be about a man. In this film, there's a brief relationship plot, but it's not really a relationship. It's mainly because she's kind of on her own in Berlin, you know? There is, it's not a, like, I need to be with her. There's never any drama about the two of them. There's never like a breakup scene or anything. Right. It's not about her being getting pregnant. She's just out there doing her thing. She's doing her job. And that was re so refreshing to see in a movie. And when she does sort of fall in love, well, not really, but she, when she sort of uses and abuses someone in, like, a sexual loving way, it's to another woman. And I thought what was really interesting was Sophia Butella's... I hope I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, a character. I thought that she was, like what women are usually in most films, right? Yeah, I agree this kind of cutesy, like, oh, I'm a little bit out of my depth in my job. Like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Please yeah. help me, Mr. Man. And I'm all sexy and I don't wear much. And then we have a sex scene and I'm kind of thrown around in the sex scene. Like... I was equal, I think. They were both empowering and... There was like moments of control. Yes, they was were both, on top and they were on top, top and swapping over. And well, all. yes, but I feel like she was shown as a bit pathetic. I feel that she, next to Charlize Theron. I think that's true because we care about um, Sharon's character. We know her for longer, so we're always in with her in mind. And she is a powerful character. You know, mm. she's a very yeah. strong spy. She gives nothing away. She's that's intimidating. Why, that's as well. why she's empowering in that scene because we're used to her being in control. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not atomic at all or blonde at all in the graphic novel, but, it, well, she is in the, she is in <laughs> the movie. Yeah, it works, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I'm not saying anything against Sofia Botella because I think she's a very strong actress. And actually, Wian, weren't you saying that she was the only good thing in The Mummy? Well, I, lo <laughs> <laughs> I loved The Mummy, which has a tomato meter a score of 16%. Oh, that's good. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I love it, but I also love the gods of Egypt. With <laughs> yeah, which we was... have a discussion about the, no. I mean, there's you always have to find. I mean, in the mummy, there's this prison in the mercury, liquid mercury. It was a neat idea, and uh, 
in uh, Gods of Egypt, the fact that uh, the gods were giant, b bigger than the humans, I thought it was... But I'm a sucker for Egyptian things. So Jan's looking forward to the release of Assassin's Creed Origins. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Sorry, Jan, I've got an Xbox. I'll buy it. We've played together. We could do, we'll do a live stream of Jan playing. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, so let's play. So, yeah. Let's play. So, yes, I wasn't hating on a character. I was no, just saying so. that um, sometimes there were scenes where I was like, oh, well, that's usually what maybe Charlize Theron's character would be like if we weren't as this film wasn't as progressive as it is. But what's nice is that you get that kind of contrast between someone who's kind of sexy, cute, um, uses sex as a weapon because, you know, women, that's o the only um, weapon that a woman has in her arsenal, which is what she uses. But then she's kind of patted down by Charlize Theron, basically saying that, look, that's not going to work. Like, I know exactly who you are. And then begins to have sex with her. So actually, that was a very James Bond move. I feel that um, Sophia's, is it Butella? Butella, yeah. Butella's character could be what Charlie Theron's character was in the beginning. She openly says in the film that she's, she did this, she just started this job. This is one of her first contracts. Sort of she's thing. only been in it for a year. She's only been in it a year. So yeah. I feel that that's why she's more like weaker than Sharon because she's been at it for a long, it seems like a long time. Like she seems to be one of the best in the in the business, you know? So yeah. that's why I feel she's and a bit she's, weaker. she's worked her way up and yeah. she's seen a lot of shit, you know? Like, she's definitely hardened. Um, and I think definitely kudos to the colour scheme. Yes. Yeah. The colour yes. scheme was insanely yes. good. Like, I, I don't know what kind of exposure it was on the camera, or was it like a colour scheme? It was, I think it was done in afters. I think there was a lot of planning before to make the rooms look bright, and then a lot of playing around afterwards. Right. Because um, I've done a lot of that for me and Anouk just recently shot a scene for showreel purposes. And uh, the actual footage is very grey, but... And it'll be on the website at some point to just show the examples um, <laughs> between colour scheme. And I'll put up the original and a side-by-side -side of what I put it as then. Yeah. Makes oh. us more bright and vibrant. Like, we're wearing... Anouk's wearing a, a burgundy cardigan and I'm wearing a blue turtleneck. And I played around with the colours that make that pop because it contrasts. And that's that's why I think that this film was a lot in editing the colour. But I agree with their choices because... There isn't a scene, again, a bit like Baby Driver. When Baby Driver we talked about, there isn't a scene that we don't like looking at because we enjoy the story. In this one, there isn't a scene that looks visually boring. You're all, your eyes are always engaged. Even if you're confused where the story's going, which happens, yeah. the first 30 minutes of this film are a bit like, what? What's going on? You've got to give this a chance because it gets good. It, it does. does. It grows on you because you get into it. And then you do also realise why they used... They did certain scenes in the beginning and did it that way. Yeah, it makes later. sense by so the end, yeah. It's one of those films that you kind of have to stick with. So, yeah, if you're impatient, like, just stick it out. This isn't a one for putting on while you're doing your ironing. You have to sit down to watch this one, I think. Yes. Yeah, it's a, lot, it's a lot nicer to actually watch it. One of the things that's reminded me of is... Sharon's room is um, one of the best-looking rooms I've ever seen. Mm. <laughs> It's like um, pink neon effects with a lot of light blue kicking about. And uh, the reason I mention this is I wanted to go back on a point that we talked about at the beginning with the Palace of Tears and the historical context of the Cold War. Because um, in her room is news footage of Berlin at the time, which is nice of them to try and put a bit more in and give you context, but it doesn't play out in the film because you never feel the tension. 
But again, that's because we're focused on the story and the, the film is very focused on the, the, car- the journey of the film, you know? So we don't have to focus on the background. But I do feel that's lost. It's a nice touch and it's, it's nice to put it in. It's just it doesn't really give you context for the historical background. I think you are sort of given like a, a timer, though, because I think John Goodman's character talks about how um, when the wall falls, there might be a bit of an issue. Like, let's hope that we're not under it. So I, I, I kind of took that as every time that the TV was on and they were saying, like, oh, the wall's about to fall. That's and stuff. It was day. kind of one of those moments where it was like, oh gosh, when is the list going to be leaked? And that surely means death to anyone, like to her especially. So that's kind of how I took it. But what actually what I quite liked about the film is that you, you, she could actually have died, if that makes sense. Like you did feel like she might actually, it was that type of film that she might actually, they might actually kill her off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so you did actually fear for anyone's life in that film. Like it could be you yeah, next. Definitely. In terms of the um, yeah color scheme, it felt a bit like they had a poster, you know, with the atomic and then the neon blonde. Mm. And they were inspired by that for all their color scheme. And uh, yes. that's a thing they learn at the rain dance. Uh, mm. So when you don't have any idea, just make the best poster you can with uh, sex and stuff. And, okay. and then try to, uh, well, sell that poster, mm. the, the, the poster to, uh, yeah, it's this amazing movie. And then you write something around uh, what's on the poster. The cut, yeah. If you want an example of that in filmmaking terms, <laughs> to annoy Jan again. Uh, the the team that made the funny Suicide Squad trailer, which is the one that was more popular, yes. was then hired to edit the movie. Yes, so the, the team, trailer company. A team that specialised in making trailers, <laughs> which give away all the plot in the trailer to get you to go and sit on the seat and pay your money, were then hired to edit the full movie. Yeah. If that doesn't scream inter- interfering moment. studio... Uh, I don't know what does. Uh, I don't know what does this. It's just know. amateur as well. Like Suicide Squad was a different level of absolute bullshit. I reckon if Suicide Squad had the team that did this movie, Suicide Squad could have been good. You not think? Mm-hmm. I think if this, I think if it was a different team, I think if this team had a go at Suicide Squad or Suicide Squad Two, it might be all right because this film was well made. I enjoyed this film. Maybe if they didn't have Jared Leto. I don't think they will for the next one. Oh, they have in the, in the next. Uh... Denis Villeneuve uh, movie, Blade Runner to oh, yeah, he's in that something playing in less oh, crazy. Oh, I thought that Joker. was Casey Affleck. No, that's uh, Jared Leto. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they look the same. <laughs> uh, no, they, they really don't. I'm sorry. I apologise for that one. But um, I thought it was Casey Affleck. But um, no, I, Jared Leto was terrible as the Joker, and should never have been cast. It was bad. We'll cover that one one day. <laughs> so yes, of course. Yes. Colour scheme was good. Soundtrack. Soundtrack was killer. I love the soundtrack. The soundtrack was amazing. Yes. Really, uh, really. I want to buy it, like, now. Bit of Depeche Mode, Iran. Mm-hmm. Third time I've seen Iran in a movie in a, lot, in a while. First was La La Land. Yes, that was a good scene, though. And then I can't remember the next one that brought it back. And then here again. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was very good. And it, it kept you up. Yeah, definitely. Like, actually, I feel like if the... Set, is it called set design? No. Sound design. No, sound design, but also like the colour scheme and the DOP and director. If they weren't kind of keeping tabs on 
the sound design, the color, the I exposure of the camera and all this stuff, like the scenes in themselves, like mostly weren't great. I think that has, I don't know, maybe we'll find out at a later point and we'll do an editorial, but I think that must have been done in the edit. They put the footage together and went, right, what can we put on this? Because I know Baby Driver, for example, Edgar Wright wrote the scenes with music. You know, he knew what music he was going to use. Mm. I don't think that's the oh, case in this no movie, because that's very hard to do. But um, it's one of the things they tell you not to do as a writer. Don't write music to the scene, because you can never know if you're going to get the song or not. Um, yes, because that's, that's the right. one thing the studio doesn't want to buy. Right. You can buy explosions and car chases all you like, but as soon as you want a specific song, studios like mm, maybe get another one that's cheaper. So. Yeah, Suicide yeah. Squad again. Royalties. Mm. <laughs> all the money in the music. Suicide Squad. That's because uh, you know. I don't know if anyone know if anyone here watches South Park. Uh, I watched uh, some episodes, but not the full thing. So there's an episode in South Park called "The Simpsons Did It First where. Um, <laughs> Butters, as Professor Chaos, wants to, like, destroy the town because he's mad. But every plan he comes up with has been done by the Simpsons. And his <laughs> friend tells him, the Simpsons did that first. And he's like, ah, oh, hey, like that, like, the whole way through. And the thing with the Suicide soundtrack was, it's like, yeah, but Guardians of the Galaxy did it, and it worked. Guardians of the Galaxy did that first. Oh, they got a big band of superheroes. Yeah, but Guardians of the Galaxy did that first. <laughs> They got the team together, Guardians of the Galaxy, with that first. <laughs> Guardian, shut up about Guardians of the Galaxy, okay? I want to make my DC movie. <laughs> I'm going to cry in a corner and hire Joe Lyle, okay? I want him in a movie. So this, did this movie remind you of another one, besides John Wick? Uh, it does, but it'll come back to me. Do uh, you want to see anything this one reminded you of? Um, a French film, actually. If anyone has seen Umbrellas of Cherbourg... Oui, Les Parapluies de Cherbourg. Les Parapluies de Cherbourg. Uh, not because it's level, because that film is genius and it is like one of my childhood favourite films. Um, but because they kind of did the colour scheme thing and, and the, the everything that everyone wore was like matched and it was so kind of carefully monitored, all these little, like the visual was beautiful. Um, Le Parapluies may be a little bit more colourful, but there's definitely thing. And I think maybe just the, the darkness of it, like it's just such a sad movie that that kind of reminded me of that. It's a very strange two films that I've put together. We but... mentioned this in the introduction with when we talked about James McAvoy, which we kind of left behind because it's not a lot to say about James in this film. Uh, this film reminded me of filth. Um, mm. The style that it's edited at reminded me a lot of the cuts in filth. For example, there's a scene at the start of filth where James McAvoy's character is narrating about Scotland and he walks past uh, some fat people eating like pies and stuff, right? And you've got the bagpipes playing this really good music and that's what reminded me of like the soundtrack and the visuals matched so that's where my link comes from I would say Filth would the film this reminded me of and yes. it made me want to go I want to watch Filth I want to watch Filth again it didn't remind me of anything actually but yeah I need to go, I need to see Filth because I've, I've purchased the Blu-ray like two months ago because my uncle the, the same that has tinnitus who said mm. uh, that this, that's the best performance he's seen in his life uh James McAvoy on this one, so I got the oh, yes. Blu-ray at the time, but I still need to... Well, watch that. Check it out. Yeah. Check yeah. it out. And it's also James McAvoy's favourite. Uh, he says that. It's his own interviews and stuff. He's he's unbelievably good in it. Arvin Welsh is just a fantastic writer. I mean, I've, I'm currently reading the final Trainspotting novel, Porno, 
and it's just fantastic. I, I've, I've never read any of them. I'd only seen the films, and I've just fallen in love with those those pieces of literature. <laughs> and I'm listening to Adam reading it over his shoulder because I can't read the Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> And you're trying to read either Begbie scenes or Spud scenes. Back your wee bastard. Um, every, Jan, you should, I, Jan should definitely sight read that. We'll do that. As a, as a, as a, as a, we as should, a bonus. As a bonus someday, Jan will read the first chapter of Trainspotting from Spud, right? <laughs> because Spud sections, always he always uses the word likesy, right? I was walking in the back like see, and I saw this bird that likes you all that, and I was saying to myself, hey, I'll maybe get I'll maybe I'll hit on her a wee bit, but I didn't really care what to do. So I, I, I went, hey, what are you up to, eh? So it's basically like that the whole way through. And Begbies are just, even I struggle to read it. It's tough. It's tough, but excellent. It's excellently written. And a little fun fact for your listeners, that um, the original Trainspotting was nominated for a Booker Prize, but was subsequently denied and disqualified for shortlisting because it offended two of the judges' sensibilities. Oh, Jesus Christ. So if that's not worth reading, it's worth reading. Or at least seeing the film. They're very different, but they're both worth indulging well, in. And that's I, thick Scottish. That's lovely. It could mm. be worse. could be a, those Aberdeen thing, like a Dorish. Oh, Dor- 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 oh, like if it's a dialect, that's different. Oh, I have no behind your sheep up there, eh? <laughs> yeah, like, like um, so our friend Emma shall tell Emma... Finley. Unless she doesn't want to be on the... By the name. And well, she will. Yeah, she'll pop um, on. But, um... So she's from Aberdeen. And... Cullen. Cullen. She... she Famous she, for fashion. Like, she'll be speaking to her mum and everything will be exactly the same, you know, accent and words. And then she'll slowly start using words that no one has ever heard of. Like, she said... Was it Quine? Quine and Queen. Quine. Queen is girl and Quine is male. Ah. I believe. I could be wrong. Though. No, yeah, Quine is, is a man. Fijikame is what you want. Fijikame? No, no, Fijikame is, what did you call me? Fijikame. Uh, Fijikame? I'm not up to date with me, Doric. And neither is Lester. Say. I think it's Quine something because I added a Doric uh, line in my script. So that's it. <laughs> yeah. Dear, dear. <laughs> so, um, yes, anyway. Um, so I feel that we've come to our wraps with uh, uh, with this. But I want to bring back a feature we did in uh, the test that we haven't done yet, uh, which is called Would You Do It? So I'm going to ask my fellow podcastees uh, about our would role. We do, uh, would we play that part of right. the script? Charlie Sarah? Uh, I'm going to... Well, obviously you, I would say, for casting-wise, you would want to play Sharon. But I reckon you could play... The, the, the French ring. operative as well. Right. Because uh. I could pretend to be French. Oh. French Algerian. You also have, the, because you have, you can play Mediterranean. I, yeah, I could be like M- M- Middle Eastern, yeah. Yes, that's why I would say her. Even though I'm not really sure if the Middle East got involved in the Cold War. But you're from, you could, you could play an Algerian, a French Algerian. Yeah? Yeah. I um, think so. When you say Jan, and it could pass for a French Algerian? I guess so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd have to work on the accent. Yeah, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course. But, so you, um, you would take... but, but both of those those female roles, definitely. I think you'd be silly as a woman to, uh, these days to surpass two roles that are so good for us feminists. And uh, Jan. Oh, I'd love to be the guy with the kiss stuck in his <laughs> cheeks. <laughs> that was so stupid. I'm sorry, that was so stupid. Oh, we thought you were talking about that scene. All three of us laughed. 
Like, why have you not taken the keys out your face? She, Charlize Theron's character stabs a man in the face with a set of keys and he doesn't remove them till the end of the fight. Yeah, he keeps them in and they're jangling in his cheek. It's just... It is a bit ridiculous. Like reality of doing, man. But yeah, also, Jan, exactly. because Jan is the only one here that's done a fight scene. Yeah, I was about to touch on that, yes. Those fight scenes were not full choreographed. They had some cuts, but still they did it like... It felt like it was full, which was not what we did on our um, Game of Death uh, five, what, Game what, of what, death yeah, five, God yeah. five scenes. We we did we had the whole choreography in our head. We did it a few times in rehearsal, but it was always when it came time to film it, just bits like to capture more the word, the nitty gritty uh, face and more than the actual full uh, thingy. But yeah, that was uh, yeah, it was impressive. Yeah, and I mean, all, all three of... Actually, Jan is a very good fighter. Like, I think he had the best film um, Jan had out of everyone. Films. Jan had a good... Yeah, Jan is amazing. <laughs> Jan had a very good uh, one. Jan kind of stole the course. Like, Mark kind of talks about how he stole Troika, but I think he stole the course. As soon as Jan learned to get out of the corner and be Jan, yeah, he, became, it was like, oh. he became the man known as Jan the man. Jan the man. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, all three of us have our unarmed and armed... Um, we're all, we're all qualified yeah, yeah. and certified by... British Academy of uh, Stage and uh, Street post, yeah, Combat. Combat like, something. Yeah. We're, yeah. Both, we're all qualified in Rapier and Dagger and Unarmed Combatants. Combat. Yeah, that's cool. Right? As yeah. at the moment, if you're listening to this in 2019, we are not qualified. We'd have to reset the test. But we probably have because we're, you know, above yeah, the line. Yeah, because it's good fun. It's worth to have. It's worth to have. Um... But anyway, so so we we understand how difficult it actually is to choreograph a a, um, an armed scene. It's tough, and then also to put acting on top of that—that's even more tough because then you have to learn your reactions. So, massive, massive kudos to um, all of those actors um, because they did such a good job, and actually those scenes were. Pretty, the pretty stunt good. team in this. They were the, really... the stunt team was very good in this too. Dedicated. Yeah. I, I don't know dedicated. if you've seen uh, 2003 Peter Pan with the Jason Isaacs. Yes. As, uh, oh, yes. Yeah. yes, yes. Jason yes. Isaacs had a background in stage combat, but with his right hand or left hand, I don't remember, he had to learn everything the whole way around for the film. Oof. Because of because the it hook. was not it was a southpaw or the uh, it was not the correct uh, oh jeez oh yeah because of the hook yeah because <laughs> we couldn't use one yeah. side of it yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. no yeah. that terrible. is horrible That's, uh, position <laughs> yeah I mean for a film like you would wouldn't you as Absolutely. an actor anything else we want to cover that was that feature um, I like that yeah. feature that was good uh, yeah I'd like to clarify a rating right uh, good bad and just plain standard we talked a bit about that on the uh, Edinburgh Fringe special, but probably you won't listen to this one, so I'll explain again this one. Uh, for me, this th- those are uh, gut feelings that I get uh, thanks to the acting studying we've been doing last year and the way movies are made, which also means that sometimes I really enjoy bad movies. Hmm. Uh, I mean, it, it, only recently, my only compass was how much I loved the acting and only started watching movies uh, without French dubbing like uh, 25 years ago, which means that I'm always learning new things uh, from any movie anyway, however bad they may be in my eyes or anyone's eyes. So, yeah, it's just 
It's coming from the heart. It's an amalgamation of mm-hmm. things that work. We definitely weigh up um, what works and what doesn't work. I think to qualify as a bad movie, we have to just... It's not necessarily that nothing works. It's just that either they try too hard, it's one thing, and it drops the ball in other aspects, or there's just has no ambition. You know, like it fails at what it tries to do, or it's offensively bad. Um, for example, if we ever review Human Centipedes two, uh, 3, right? 3 is a train wreck. 3 is just not a film, and it's barely qualifying. Whereas people would think it's the subject theme. It's like, no, it's just cashing in on what it was and trying to offend people. That was that was the that was Tom Six thing. He's like, I want to offend people with two and three. Whereas the first one was what could have been something. Can you, you really, did you really watch those? I watched I've, I've watched, seen all three. I've only yeah. watched the human Sentipad. Oh, which yeah. is the South Park uh, um, episode. The human <laughs> Sentipad. Maybe we'll maybe we'll do an off one of the first Centipede film because it's okay. I mean, my dad really likes that film, <laughs> and it human, really freaks me out. Human Centipede One is not terrible. I mean, it's, it's so right. It's quite good. The thing is, if Human Centipede One was the only one that existed, I think it would be better. It's like the legacy yeah. of the other two made them bad. That's what makes a bad movie. If it's just, it's not made for the movie's sake. You know, it's it's something else entirely. Yeah. Whereas Standard, Standard can be good or bad in a way, because a Standard movie is something you're like. It tried, but it didn't do well. It didn't have a direction. It, why was it made? It's just, you know a standard movie when you see a standard movie. Yeah. I mean, you want to leave halfway through, usually. And sometimes you do. Sometimes you do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just add the uh, schedule a bit. Because what we're, we're adjusting our, our thing right now, but at the absolute least, it would be like two episodes a month. Yes. Mm. And um, we'll have them, well, we'll try as the best possible to have them in pairs, like a recent release, like uh, released uh, either in a few months that came before the podcast, the the episode, or uh, the same year, followed, or, well, depending on the rotation, uh, by an older release, any any period of time. They might change ways around if we can get get up to speed. Yes, and we'll have guests also, so that we'll mess up. Hopefully yeah. that we can do the recent episodes while that film is still out in cinema so you can go and see it after a recommendation. Yeah, um, guys, like, if, if anyone is ever interested in hearing us, like, have a discussion about a certain film, like, comment or do yeah. that email or whatever, like, we're totally up for talking to anyone around the world. I mean, someone listened from India to the Baby Driver. Day. Baby, so I mean, this if is you're listening, thanks a lot. Yeah, contact. thank yeah. you very yeah. much. Give your shout out. Shout out we'll have to a shout every week. We'll have a shout out to the, the city farthest away from where we are, or the one that surprised us the most Hyderabad. <laughs> Hyderabad, shout out. So, yeah, I'd just like to add two updates on previous movies. I'll go for it. Yeah, Baby Driver. Well, first of all, I'd like to talk about my own personal tonight's story. Oh. Mm. Because I thought I had superpowers for years, you know, hearing like, oh, I can hear dogs, you know, because that's uh, when you're afraid dogs, that's what you, you get the, the, the whistle, right? And I discovered what tinnitus was and then that was disappointed because I had no, <laughs> I had no powers. So yeah, baby driver, there's this woman, Georgia Durante, who is mad as hell over the story because... She just wrote a book. She was the wife of a mobster when she was younger. She used to be 
driving like baby driver style. Oh wow! And then she ended up uh, being a stunt driver in Hollywood, and uh, yeah, she's she's not really uh, happy with the the baby driver story. No, oh, dear. Ah. I also would like to add that the on-demand version of Baby Driver is getting out in September and the physical in October with cool bonuses like the coffee run rehearsal. Ooh. Oh, that's neat. Yes. That's and, uh, worth picking up for that. Soundtrack oh, yes. stuff and choreography segments. And stuff. That's excellent. And actually, any Edgar Wright film is worth buying for the director's commentary because Edgar Wright talking about his films is one of the best... Um, commentaries I've ever heard is either him and Simon Pegg talking about Shaun of the Dead. Oh, that was insane! If, if you ever get to, see, we should check do Shaun of the Dead in Halloween month, maybe. Yeah, swap out for something. I might swap out Alien. I'd maybe. quite like to do Halloween as well. I love. We Halloween. might do a couple in October if we get time and release them week to week. Maybe even two a week if you're lucky, listeners. Mm-hmm. Get an extra, get an extra treat this Halloween. Oh God! You've all been good. <laughs> no, that's Christmas. <laughs> And maybe the on Hot Fuzz, he has a commentary with Quentin Tarantino. Oh, wow. Oh, that's yeah. insane. And they don't talk about the film. They have this trade trivia about films. <laughs> it's one of the best things I've ever listened to. That sounds It kind of puts amazing. our podcast to shame, like how good it is. Uh, oh, nice. Well, I have a Victoria update now. You know, mm. I talked about Bushwick, uh, one, yes. uh, one take movie. Oh, yeah. That's a modern day imagining of a US civil war that's with Dave Bautista. Oh, the most uh, recent like serious movies because he used to he be a wrestler. Not... Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, yes. He's, Drax. He's, the he's, Destroyer. Um, he's he was, adorable. He was the villain in the recent James Bond film Spectre. Oh, okay. ah. he was in that. That's nah, that movie's a bit weird. God, he's doing well. For Should himself. we do a James Bond retrospective one day? Oof, retrospective is hard. Just like a TV series, we were talking about that uh, earlier. Oh, yes, how do you... It's... Well, we do... Oh, retrospective, like one... We would do each one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do a James Bond episode. Cool, yeah, yeah. I'd like to do that. Maybe we'll have a James Bond year, and every month we'll bring out two James Bond films. Yes. (laughs) So many ideas, guys. So many ideas. Uh, Daniel Craig just uh, signed up for the new one. I saw, yeah. Yeah. For (laughs) years he's been talking about how I'd never, ever, ever want to do this ever again. slash my wrists and stuff. Yeah. Oh, come on, we'll give you £30 million. All right. I mean, if it puts your kid through college, I'll do it. Because, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure he can... I'm sure he can do that already. Into the, like, the best private schools already. his wife wants a kitchen or something. Yeah, true, new kitchen. I'd want a kitchen. Slightly sexist, Adam. Okay, maybe I. To be fair, I'd want a new kitchen. I love fucking cooking. <laughs> I love cooking. It's great. I know. I was being annoying. <laughs> and another one shot I forgot. Time code, which is ninety minutes, one take, but it's like uh, surveillance cameras. Ooh. So the screen is divided in four. Oh, that's cool. And that's it's really four cool. times the thingy. That's and it was great. directed by Mike Figgis, who is a rain dance patron, like oh. uh, Christopher Nolan, who studied there. Uh, Guy Ritchie, all Randon's peeps. Dyer, uh, Dyer, by the way, uh, <laughs> I will put in the link the 25 frequently asked questions uh, from Elliot Grove. Oh, that's good. Guys, that you point. didn't know last time. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Oh, I, I very nice so stuff in there. That. And then it's also relevant because I'm going to the rest, Rain Dance Festival for two weeks next month. That's what I was about to say. I was about uh, to segue into that. And uh, we'll have a special episode a bit later in the year. The, that's where uh, 
Isolani is releasing with bits of uh, Milk in a Wine Glass members in there. Oh, go check that out. Absolutely. That's got some good actors that studied with us. It's got really good uh, director who helped us Jan. out a lot and his friend, best, best friends with Jan. Jan. Oh, that's yeah, friend, <laughs> friend of Paul Wilson. Paul Wilson, yeah, very, very uh, Shout incredible. Out. Yeah, is it was his really uh, childhood nice. dream to make movies. And, really uh, nice man. Uh, really nice man. Yeah. Oh, it, it, yeah, lovely. So, Anouk, Jan, was Atomic Blonde good, bad, or just plain standard? Jan, I would say it's good, but keeping in mind that I should not have read the graphic novel, which wasted the whole thing for me. So, for the incredible um, stunt coordination and the colours, and yeah, it's good. Anouk? I would say good too, but I think it's in the lower level of good. Like, you can't put this next to Baby Driver. So, yeah, I think right. we should have increments of so good, bad, not, and standard. It's not Baby Driver or Victoria Goods. No. Good no. But no. it's, yes, I actually enjoyed it as a film. And for Anouk to say a Hollywoodized movie is good. <gasps> You know it's worth seeing. You look at me. You look at me with your Hollywood eyes. Hollywood eyes. <laughs> For me, yeah, it's a good movie. I honestly, I had really bad feelings going in. I I expected it to be rubbish, and that was really poor of me because I'd recently the movie I'd seen before that was Hitman's Bodyguard, who which was terrible. I walked out half an hour and twenty then in. Maybe one oh, day, God. maybe one day I'll watch it all and we can review it on this podcast. But, and I, I, I also thought because we'd seen trailers for it for months that it was, they were just sinking money to hope people would see it. But you know what? For its, its colour scheme, its strong female character, its engaging story once you get involved in the story, I would say this is a pretty good recommend, uh, good. It's not Baby Driver Amazing or Victoria Amazing. But I would say it's a, it's a recommend. If you were going to sit down and watch a Hollywood movie, I would watch this. It's, I put mm. it in the same category as I love the new Planet of the Apes movies. I think they're really clever and yeah. they're really well done. I put this to the same level. This is an intelligent Hollywood movie. It doesn't take the audiences like stupid that just want to sit there and eat popcorn. It asks you to pay attention. And in the end, if you do pay attention, you'll get some enjoyment out of it. Yeah, you so ask even, questions, don't yeah. you, in the end? You do. I love the word. And actually, mm. I feel that in a couple of weeks' time, we will release a, a 10 minute, 10, 15 minute segment of this podcast talking about the end of the movie. Because I'm very aware that if we spoiled the end of this movie, that it would ruin it for everyone and it wouldn't be enjoyable for you. So we will talk about the end of this movie at a later date if people want to hear it. <laughs> Yeah, spoilers section. A spoiler right. section. Yeah. I think we'll do that from now on if it ruins the movie. We'll have a set. We'll update the podcast in two weeks, and it will be after the end section here. So after the recommends, you can skip to. We'll put it in the link. There'll be a skip to for spoilers, and we'll update each podcast in a couple of weeks after people have had the time to see them. For the recents, anything that was in the past, we will talk about spoilers if it dignifies. But hopefully, we wouldn't have to talk about spoilers because we don't have to rely on the plot so much, and we can talk about other aspects. Right, I mean, if it's good, yeah, it can talk for himself. Exactly. Um, I would also quite like to add, if you do have time, go see Yerma, because it's incredible, and we just came back to see it, and I just thought I should add that. Yeah, but it was on National Theatre Live, it was just a one-off event, and now it's at the Young Vic, but I don't know if they're still at the Young Vic. 
Um, I think until the 9th of September, but I might have read that wrong. But if you can, check it out for sure, because it's yeah, amazing. Stage design. It will come incredible. back. It will yeah, come it's back. insane. Yeah. If listeners are interested for a theatre version of The Good, The Bad, and The Just Plain Standard, let us know, because we'd happily talk about theatre. And any excuse for us to go and see some more theatre would be enjoyable. Oh, definitely. Obviously, for theatre, it's a bit more difficult, because we have to see what's around, but... We would maybe do it monthly. We'd do a theatre review, which would be quite nice, I think, to do one piece of theatre each month if possible. You know, I could bring some fringe stuff because I interviewed quite a lot of people and That's I true. only talked about, oh, like, yes. a, not that many during the... Jan will fringe. be releasing a... I would almost want to call it a feature film, the amount of footage that I've seen for it, yeah. of his experience at the fringe. So we will release that through the Milk and a Wine Glass website and hopefully you guys will enjoy it because mm-hmm. it's very good and Jan's a very passionate man spent a whole month at the friend <laughs> which is the rather plug we have just today we recorded two podcasts today it's the first time ever where we record we had a guest on from uh acs alistair mm-hmm. um he was he's the year after us we went to have to coach scotland and he's the next year where we talked about the fringe experience about flyering about shows we'd seen about his show and about the importance of actors understanding reviews which i think was a really good important section of that so if there's any actors listening i would definitely recommend that episode which will be out this month mm. yeah. or any performers who get reviewed to be should fair should be out before this is it episode yeah yeah good yeah. so you've listened to it <laughs> if you if you skipped over that one because you weren't interested in the fringe and that's what it's about so it's worth a listen to maybe this will be a snippet mm. and we could put this out this bit out of me saying guys go and listen to this podcast but i don't know but yeah I feel that was. I feel that that brings us solely to the end of the Cold War. Our wall has come crumbling down. David Hasselhoff has just smashed us down. <laughs> For people that don't know, David Hasselhoff was there to knock down the Berlin Wall. That's. I mean, if there was a historical event in the world that was more important, I'm glad it was presented by the Hoff. Oh, what a gem! <laughs> so, thanks for listening. This has been Adam. Anouk. And Jan. And this has been episode three of The Good, The Bad and The Just Plain Standard. Jan, what's next on the schedule? Next on the schedule, I don't know if we agreed on that, but um, let's the, just go with the... Um, John Wick? Atomic Blonde. So next, John, John Wick. Wick. Yeah, and okay. we will kickstart the Halloween month with the It. Yes, coming out at the end of Ooh. September. F- followed by Nosferatu, 1922. Mm. Alien or Shaun of the Dead? We're not. Uh, we'll, we'll have to. Fuck it. We'll do both. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do it. Then, well, because it's uh, movies that uh, we selected. Those movies, like um, the ones that were important to us. So Anouk chose Nosferatu, mm-hmm. and you. I chose Alien, and I chose Evil Dead Three, which I have not seen. So I look forward to watching that. Oh. And Jigsaw at the end of October. Because, ah, because, yes. because I was a mad Saw fan when I was growing up as a teenager. And uh, yeah. I'm excited and equally worried <laughs> to see what they've done with it. Yeah. So I think it's a reboot, but also the eighth movie in the franchise. So it's, maybe yeah. it's a bastard kind of... We'll talk about in a Halloween. We'll, talk, yeah, we'll have yeah. a section in the Halloween where I talk about Saw. We'll do that at the beginning of the Jigsaw Ooh, episode. Because I, mean... I have a lot to say about that yeah. franchise. <laughs> awesome. We awesome. will be doing a Saw franchise series next year at Halloween because <laughs> I, am, I am just so hyped <laughs> and so disappointed in some of those Saw movies. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. Well, thank you again for listening. Thank and, you. Uh, thank you, listeners. Thank you for getting us nearly over 100. But actually, by the time you listen to us, Baby Driver might be at over 100. So oh, thank you. amazing. From the bottom of our hearts, because honestly, we thought maybe 10 people were going to listen. But honestly, yeah. we were putting this out because we wanted to talk about film and to hear that people are actually listening is really heartwarming. So thank really, you really from amazing. the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much. Merci. Merci, merci. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.